Welcome back to the Renaissance. My name is Cameron Riley. How are you, Papa Bear? You make me feel like dancing. Doing good. <laughs> uh, let me start this episode with a biblical quote. Because uh, you know, Ray, I'm all about the Bible. Oh, yeah. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess served their gods, upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars and break their pillars and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods and destroy the names of them out of that place. Deuteronomy 12, 2 and 3. But love them while you're doing it. The God of love, ladies and gentlemen, in all his glory. Um, yeah, so we've been talking about uh, St. Augustine and uh, I want to move on to another episode that happened uh, not long after Augustine's time. And this is the story of Hypatia of Alexandria, which which some scholars think is the starting point of the actual Dark Ages. And not just scholars mm. today, but scholars back in the day too, in the fifth century, were like, "Oh shit, we've just we've just turned a corner, man." Um, <laughs> right. This is this is not good, and this is the Hypatia story. So. I want to start this, Ray, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with talking about the Parabolani. Mm-hmm. Parabolani, um, a.k.a. the Reckless Ones, the name started off as a compliment. In, in Alexandria, the f- city founded by Alexander the Great himself, built by his general Ptolemy and, and Ptolemy's son, Ptolemy II, Ptolemy Philadelphus, right. it was 700 years old in the 400s CE. Uh, so a long, you know, we know about the Library of Alexandria and, and, and the, the Museum and the Temple of Serapis. We've talked about these in this show and our other shows many, many times. Mm-hmm. It was a crossroads of busy trading routes in the Roman Empire. Very busy place, probably the second most populous place outside of Rome, certainly a major centre of, uh, of, of intellectual inquiry, obviously predates Rome being a serious place. You know, we, we, we told the story in our Caesar shows of, of uh, both Caesar and then uh, Augustus going to Alexandria in their day and, and admiring the accomplishments of the Egyptians in Alexandria. Right. Um, well, the Greeks... Were the pharaohs, but the, then then the Egyptians um, they became sort of Greek Egyptian, I guess, uh, in Cleopatra's time. And we know that Augustus uh, went back to Rome after he went to Alexandria after he defeated Cleopatra and Mark Antony. He went back to Rome and said, "You know what? I want one of them. Let's <laughs> let's turn let's turn Rome into Alexandria." So nice. by the four hundreds, it had been around a long time. Old and, and, and storied history. Mm-hmm. But there was there was a lot of sick people. A lot of sick people, a lot of weak people, and somebody needed to get them off the streets, and that was the Parabolani. Now, 
a century or so before this, um, the Roman Empire had endured the plague of Cyprian. You know much about the plague of Cyprian, Raimondo? No, tell me. I will. So it ran from about 250 to 260, 262 mm-hmm. uh, CE. Started in Ethiopia around Easter of 250 CE. And it's called the Plague of Cyprian because the Bishop of Carthage, St. Cyprian, uh, wrote about it firsthand and, and we know about it from his writings. Ah, okay. Um, I've got a quote from him here. He says, This trial that knows the bowels relaxed into a constant flux discharged the bodily strength that a fire originated in the marrow ferments into wounds of the forces that the intestines are shaken with a continual vomiting that the eyes are on fire with the injected blood that in some cases the feet or some parts of the limbs are taken off by the contagion of diseased putrefaction. Damn. That from the weakness arising by the maiming and loss of the body, either the gait is enfeebled or the hearing is obstructed or the sight darkened, is profitable as a proof of faith. What a grandeur of spirit it is to struggle with all the powers of an unshaken mind against so many onsets of devastation and death. What sublimity to stand erect amid the desolation of the human race and not to lie prostrate with those who have no hope in God, but rather to rejoice and to embrace the benefit of the occasion. That in thus bravely showing forth our faith and by suffering endured, going forward to Christ by the narrow way that Christ trod, we may receive the reward of his life and faith according to his own judgment. I'm going to need a translation. Uh, Disease is terrible, but it doesn't matter because I believe in Jesus and I can... (laughs) and, 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 And this is good. Throw so it at good. me. Come at, right. come at me. Come at me, bro. It. Yeah. Come at me, bro, <laughs> was what he was saying to Jesus. Now, sufferers experienced diarrhea, continuous vomiting, fever, deafness, blindness, paralysis of the legs and feet, swollen throats, blood filled their eyes and stained their mouths. And usually they died. But it didn't matter Most- because they had Jesus. Mm, yeah, well, not everybody. This is only oh, in the 250s. So, point. you know. Mm. Most pagans interpreted it as a punishment from the gods. And uh, most modern theories say it was probably either smallpox, measles, or the Ebola virus. Right. Damn. It lasted nearly 20 years. Um, and. Some estimates I've read say that its height, it was killing 5,000 people a day in Rome alone. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Not home alone. Right. Uh, I don't think Kevin was killing 5,000 a day, but, but he was aiming for it. But they were screaming to- like him with their hands, palms pressed to their face. You should do that as a logo. Rome alone. 
just with uh, Augustus putting his hands on his <laughs> open mouth. Oh. Uh, one of our graphic designer friends, do that up for us, will you? Yeah. Quick, chop, chop. quick, smart. Yeah. Chop, chop. <laughs> chop, chop. Where does chop, chop come from? I guess it's like a... Some television uh, show. Um, it, you know, obviously it's insensitive. Um, no, I'm sure it comes standards. from, I don't know, when the Chinese were in San Francisco and... It, it, you know, came into common right linguistic thing. Here we go. Chop chop is a phrase rooted in Cantonese. It spread through Chinese workers at sea and was adopted by English seamen. Chop chop means hurry and suggests that something should be done now without delay. The word chopsticks likely originates from the same root. Mm. Term may have its origins in the South China Sea as a pidgin English version of the Cantonese term chok chok, ah, which in turn is similar in usage to the Mandarin term kwai kwai, and may have originated from Malay. There you go, pidgin cool. English chop chop. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So uh, five thousand a day. Imagine how the fuck do you handle five thousand people dying every day in Rome? Bring out your dead. Exactly. The Parabolani. That's where they come in. It killed millions of people uh, uh, over the course of its run, seriously decimated the Roman army, had people fleeing from the countryside to the cities, which obviously brings a lot of problems in and of itself. Mm-hmm. City infrastructure is not designed to cope with that. Farming, how do you feed them? How do you, you know... Uh, have shelter for them, all that kind of stuff. Right. Now, it, it coincided with the rise of Decius as emperor. Hmm. And Decius uh, issued an edict when he became emperor requiring every citizen of the empire to make a sacrifice to the gods in the presence of a magistrate. Not as an attack against the Christians, from what we can tell, it was just a thing, you know, uh, yeah. to, to, to celebrate his victory and, and becoming an emperor, he's like, all right, well, uh, just to thank the gods, I want everyone, you know, I sort of promised them that we would do this. <laughs> everyone uh, do a sacrifice and I, you have to do it in the presence of a magistrate so I know you're not fucking around here because <laughs> I, I made a promise to the gods, <laughs> want to see it done. Now, of course, the Christians refused, as we know. Christians weren't big on that. Right. And that led to the first persecution of the Christians, the so-called Decian persecution. Ah, and the plague was blamed on the Christians not sacrificing to the gods. Thanks, Christians. The gods were angry that day, my friends. <laughs> like an old man trying to send back soup into Delhi. Um, anyway, back to the Parabolani. So they were members of a Christian brotherhood who voluntarily undertook the care of the sick and the burial of the dead. They Aww. knew that they could die. They knew that they could catch the plague right. from the bodies, but they did it anyway. Sounds like nice people. Nice people. That's why they were known as the reckless ones. Yeah. They came from the bottom rungs of society. They weren't wealthy. They weren't educated. They weren't literate. But they were strong. They had muscle. They had faith. And they were prepared to die for their beliefs. You know, well, you know, it's fine, you know. We'll, yes, we'll probably get sick and die, but that's holy, so it's okay, right? Yeah. Now, by the beginning of the 5th century, there was an estimated 800 Parabolani in Alexandria alone. Wow. 
and they reported to the bishop and they could be used to get the sick and the weak off the streets, but they could also be used <laughs> as a personal militia. Right. Because uh, 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 they would do anything the bishop said. They were devoted to the service of God via the bishop. Mm-hmm. So whatever the bishop told them to do, they would do it. Now, at this time, early 5th century, so remember the timeline. So Theodosius gets bitch slapped uh, by um, Ambrose mm-hmm. around 390. Um, Theod- uh, Ambrose says, if you want to get back into my good books uh, and for me to take the... Um, the, the, what was the thing he, he got? He, uh, he threatened to excommunication. Uh, excommunicate. Yeah, yeah. If you want me to take the excommunication off you, you have to crush all of the heretics and all of the pagans and, and make Christianity the sole official religion of the empire. So that was in three ninety. Uh, sack of Rome is four ten. So in the early fifth century, there's this big sort of fight going on across the empire. The Christians are trying to shut down the pagans with the support of the governors of the region and the imperial army um, Mm -hmm. because this is the edict of the land. And, you know, some of the Christians trying to do this were were being pricks about it. Some of them weren't all that bad. Right. Um, But when when the governor who controlled the legions in a region refused to do stuff, the bishops could use the Parabolani as their own militia, their own military to do what they wanted to do. They had like a little private Christian army there. Yeah. Were were they technically group monks or just a religious brotherhood or is that roughly the same thing? Because that's what I had read. That they were monks or that they were just a brotherhood? Uh, that they were, I had read that they were monks, but it, 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 maybe that's just a general term for a religious brotherhood. I mean, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I never thought about, um, you know, so they're going around helping people. I never thought about the other, the other direction. They, they actually could be used for something that's not good. But like you said, they're going to do whatever the bishop tells them to, because one of faith, and that's probably where their food and lodging and whatever comes from. So this guy's got his own private little army or not so little. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to um, just use the the Game of Thrones analogy if you want to think about what these people are like, people who are uh, watching Game of Thrones and are up to date. You know, there's uh, sort of the the bad, evil monks. I can't can't remember what they're called now. Are you a Game of Thrones fan, dude? I'm I'm behind. I'm way behind. Uh, Okay. Well, in the season, a couple of seasons ago, I can't remember. You have the the um, monks that are basically they've taken over Westeros. Spoilers for people that haven't watched <laughs> doesn't not going to change anything. But uh, yeah, so they take over and uh, they they're basically forcing a theocratic rule on Westeros and uh, they're 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 forcing women to walk naked through the streets because they're harlots and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So these these monks that basically have taken over and they're violent. You know, they they are a brotherhood uh, that that's violently persecuting anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. 
because again, it's done in a very Augustinian way. They're like, you know, this we're doing this for your own good, right? right. Because uh, God loves you, and He sent me to uh, torture you and throw you in a, in a in a cell until you recant your to save beliefs. You. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so just think of Game of Thrones. Can't remember the name of those guys. Can't be bothered looking up now. So, um, though, I, yeah, I think of them as the Jesus Youth, a little bit like the Hitler Youth, <laughs> but just the Jesus Youth. No. You know, their no. their job was to destroy the pagans and the heretics. <laughs> Ter- actually, a word the word used to describe them in Roman legal documents around the time is terror. Mm. They created terror. Right. Now, one day in the spring of 415 CE, they went a lot further than just threatening violence. They, cre- they committed one of the most infamous murders in early Christianity. Now, Hypatia of Alexandria was uh, a woman. Uh, she was a Hellenistic Neoplatonist philosopher and astronomer and a mathematician. She was the head of the Neoplatonic school at Alexandria where she taught philosophy and astronomy. She's the first female mathematician whose life is reasonably well recorded, and it was said that she was the greatest mathematician of her generation. And she was also not a Christian. No, she wasn't a Christian, but she she taught Christians and non-Christians. Um, she she wasn't a, a, a anti-Christian bigot uh, by any stretch of the imagination. She had Christian friends, Christian colleagues, Christian teachers. Mm-hmm. But no, she herself was a scientist, really, which pro- I don't even think she was a pagan. I think she was probably an atheist by the sounds of her. Um, yeah. She was also said to be very beautiful, but remained a virgin and devoted her life to science and philosophy. Did you there see was... the picture? I'm sorry, there, there's a picture that I'm going to put on Facebook that's probably going to get us kicked off of Facebook. Um, it was painted by someone like 1750 or whatever. I don't know why, but she's naked. Uh, her breasts are showing, uh, but her she has very long hair covered up the rest of her body. But yeah, they've got her. She's pretty bodacious in this drawing. But again, yeah, I, I imagine if she was beautiful, that would have... Uh, Tempted a lot of her students. Yeah. I don't think she walked around naked. Uh, no evidence of that. I, did, I do know that painting. It's a very famous painting of her, yeah. Wow. There's a story where one guy tried to hit on her. One of her students came up to her and told her that he loved her and was not able to control his passions. And um, she went and grabbed some of her sanitary towels that were covered in blood threw them in his face and said, you love this young man and there is nothing beautiful about it. Damn. So uh, I don't don't think he got very far uh, trying to hit on her. That did did inspire me. That's how you should deal with the incels. They hit on you. Throw tampons in their faces. Exactly. I mean... You know. I, think, I think that's probably just going to make them AR-15 even more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay, it's not a perfect plan. Let me work out. I'll get back to you. <laughs> not a perfect plan. This guy was so much in love with her that uh, he wrote a song for her. 
Okay, trick question. Who wrote that song? Oh, shit. Um, the young man who hit on... No, I don't know who. Um, well, obviously, yes, the young man who hit on Hypatia. But the first people to record it wasn't Leo Say. That was a cover version. Really? It was written by the guys in Buddy Holly's band, The Crickets. Wow. Whoa, yeah, yeah. Love you more than I can say. I love you twice as much tomorrow. Oh, oh, love you more than I can say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that? Wow. Did not picture that one. Could not picture that. Did one. that blow your mind? It did, because. Yeah. Blew my mind. I only found that out a few years ago that Leo didn't write it. Um. <clears throat> So she was uh, a bit of a local celebrity in Alexandria. Uh, her father was also a great mathematician, Theon of Alexandria, getting back to Game of Thrones references. Uh, he still had his dick, although this Theon, as far as we know, at least he did when he conceived her, I guess. Right. He, was a famous, he was a famous mathematician who wrote commentaries on the works of Euclid and Ptolemy, and in fact... His version of Euclid's elements was the only known version until an older copy was discovered in the Vatican Library in 1808. Wow. So everyone who's, who studied Euclid's elements, the, the, the foundational work of mathematics up until the 19th century, was actually reading Theon of Alexandria's commentary on it. He tried to... He tried to fix a lot of the problems in it. He improved on Euclid. <laughs> and and that's the way that mathematicians think of it. Now that we've got the older version, they've compared the older version to Theon's version and gone, yeah, actually, Theon's version's actually better. <laughs> he, he, he improved on it in many ways. Let me ask you this. I so had, that was her father. Right. I, I had read that he, um, he had corrected mistakes 
over the years of being copied and copied and copied, I didn't realize that he improved upon it as well. Oh, right. Well, the way that I understood it was that he actually just um, uh, uh, improved on, uh, uh, made it easy to understand gotcha. Euclid. Yeah, that, that his commentaries around it just uh, came up with better ways of explaining certain concepts mm-hmm. than Euclid himself had done, which is why they're saying the older, assuming that the older version we found is, is closer to the original, that um, gotcha. Theon actually did some good work. Anyway, Hypatia, his daughter, was friends with Orestes, who was the Praefectus Augustalis of the Diocese mm-hmm. of Egypt, basically the governor of Egypt at the time, based in Alexandria. And Orestes was a Christian. Um, so Hypatia and Orestes were, were friends, didn't care. And, and Orestes seems to be one of these relatively reasonable Christians. He, he, he didn't want to use violence, and he obviously was friends with Hypatia, who quite evidently wasn't a Christian, and that didn't matter. People of all faiths, used to crowd in to hear her lectures and, and flock to her house to hear her speak. She had devotee, devotees, devotees, mm-hmm. I think that's the word I'm looking for. She had devotees gathered around her right. at all times, a, a bit like us, S- sitting at her feet, just waiting for bon mots of wisdom to come toppling out of her. Nice. Now, in the spring of the year 415, the relations between the Christians and non-Christians in Alexandria were getting tense, and this is partly because they had a new bishop, Cyril. Now, people may remember the old bishop of Alexandria we've already talked about, Theophilus. He was the guy that urged his followers to destroy the temple of Serapis in 392, the very famous temple built by the Ptolemies 700 years earlier smash down the mm-hmm. statue and all that kind of stuff. It was uh, his nephew. He's dead. His new nephew is the uh, uh, bishop, Cyril. And true to family tradition, he's a bit of a thug. <laughs> right. Yeah. If uh, any- yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. No, just that the... Um, the uh- was it the bishop? Uh, was was uh, who was Theophilus? Was he the the bishop that um, died and he was training Cyril, his nephew, to take over? I'm trying to remember his yeah. position. Okay, yeah. So yeah. he was trying to take him over. However, a successor had not been named, and because we're talking about Christians here and we're talking about power, instead of working things out. There's a violent power struggle over the diocese, and so there's going to be a war, you know, civil war, if you will, between Cyril and his rival Timothy. Now, Cyril's go, Cyril is going to win, and instead of forgiving Timothy and all of his uh, followers, uh, he punishes everyone who follows Timothy, who had followed Timothy, closed all the churches of Timothy, uh, confiscated all of their properties. Now, Hypastia, uh, her school seems to have. Um, taken a distrust to uh, Cyril right away. So again, she was moderate, and, but she does become a political advisor. So even though she's a philosopher, she's a mathematician, she is going to, and maybe inadvertently, I'm not sure, stick her toe into politics, which, which will affect her in the future. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so even Christians at the time 
had reservations about Cyril. He was obviously even more brutal and ambitious than his uncle, Theophilus. Mm. Um, one council of bishops referred to him as a monster born and educated for the destruction of the church. Damn. So it wasn't just the pagans that didn't like <laughs> Cyril. It was the Christians, other Christians who didn't like him. But um, as you said, violence erupted even during his election. And then the Jews he went after next. Now, the population of Jews in Alexandria was enormous and has a long history uh, going right back to the Ptolemies. Tradition has it that Ptolemy II freed 100,000 Jewish prisoners um, in wow. order to convince the Jewish elders to loan him 70 translators who produced the Septuagint, Septuagint um, the, the Greek version of the Hebrew Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, but those days were long gone. So there were sermons being preached in this era by a new generation of Christian clerics who were far more intolerant towards the Jews now that they were the sole religion of the empire. And um, they didn't see the Jews as their predecessors or people of ancient wisdom that could be learned from. They were just hated enemies of the Christian Church, wow. despite the fact that Christianity started off as a Jewish faction. Mm-hmm. Um, guy that you mentioned in a few episodes ago, John Chrysostom, mm-hmm. was uh, one of the, the key figures in uh, attacking the Jews. He wrote or preached at some stage around about this era. The synagogue is not only a brothel, It's also a den of robbers and a lodging for wild beasts, a dwelling of demons, a place of idolatry. It really isn't. And that was actually uh, reading Chrysostom where I got that uh, bit from Jesus that I mentioned in the last episode, one of his parables, the parable of the talents or the meaners, where he says... uh, I'm a, you know, those people who didn't want me to be king, bring them and slay them before me. Actually, Chrysostom uses that quote when he's talking about the Jews. He says, there's a good reason Jesus said, et cetera, et cetera, bring them and slay them before me. So he's tying the parable into the treatment of the Jews, which honestly is probably how Jesus meant the parable. You know, I think the way to understand the parable of the talents, you know, you remember the parable of the talents? It appears in, I think, Matthew and Luke, and it's the Luke version where he says, bring him and slay them before me. But it's basically the story of the king that he's going away and he gives his um, his, his uh, uh, inner circle some money to invest and some of them invest it well and some of them bury it in the ground because they're scared of losing it. And he comes back and he, 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 he rewards the people who invested it well Mm-hmm. and punishes the people that buried it. Mm. Um, and uh, it's funny, my Christian friend on Facebook said, well, I've always thought that this is a story about using the gifts that God gave you. You know, just uh, use them well. And uh, and I'm like, fucking <laughs> Jesus wasn't Anthony Robbins, motherfucker. He wasn't <laughs> running around saying, you know what? God wants you to be a piano player. Go and take lessons, you know. It's, 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 he's talking about the Jews. He's saying, look, the Jews were God's chosen people for a thousand years. They fucked it up. 
and he's a Jew, ah, by the way. So he's saying, right. we Jews were God's chosen people for a thousand years. We fucked it up. That's why he, the Messiah hasn't come. So we need to do things differently. We, we, we need to be better Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's how we're going to do it. Um, so that's, I think, the, the most um, uh, straightforward interpretation of it. the parable. It would fit with the rest of Jesus' parables. All of Jesus' parables in the Gospels, uh, him talking about how to be good Jews, make God happy by being good Jews. It's the entire fucking point of right. Jesus is to teach people how to be good Jews, right? <coughs> <sighs> Anywho. Yeah. So Chrysostom was like, fuck the Jews. And, and Chrysostom's writings, along with the writings of Martin Luther, were used by the Nazis uh, in, ah. in the 30s to justify some of the shit that they did. Um, that's how you know that you're a successful anti-Semite, <laughs> is if the, if the Nazis like your stuff, you've, <laughs> you've got, it, got it made, my friend. Oh, my God. Are, are we... Um not that I'm rushing you, but are we to the 414 mark when Cyril goes after the Jews? Yes. Okay. I just thought that was interesting. So, yeah, so this guy, like you said, everybody's thinking that he's a dick. And, and, to, and to back that up, to prove it, he closes all the synagogues in Alexandria, confiscates all the property belonging to the Jews, and then expels all of them from the cities. Orestes, the Roman prefect of Alexandria, who was also a close friend of Hypatia and a recent convert to Christianity, as you can imagine, was outraged by Cyril's actions. And so he sends a nasty report to the emperor. Something's got to give. They can't go on or this entire city will end up in civil war. Why do you keep calling it Hypatia? There's no S. I thought that's what you said. How do you pronounce your name? Oh, Hypatia. Hypatia. I, I took your Hypatia and I raised it to a Hypatia and then I'll raise it to um, a You're patsy. just making me hungry. I want a pasty. Pastry. Hungry. Pastry. Pastry, yeah. I want to call her pastry from now on. Yeah, I, my understanding of his attack on the Jews was that he had tried to regulate the dancing and theatrical displays. Oh, uh, in the city, which was something big the Jews did. I like dancing, stand-up comedy, um, all that kind of stuff um, they would do. Uh, you know, they'd get up and talk about... Uh, you know, I saw, my psychiatr- I saw my psychiatrist the other day. Oh, they... Um, <laughs> so it... it he was trying to shut down the Jews, and and it climaxed in uh, a, a Jewish attack on some of the Christians. There was mm-hmm. sort of a chain of reprisals. The Christians did this, Jews did that, backwards and forwards until you know, you know, till today. We all know, we all know what the Jews are like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Palestinians walk up to their border, they have to shoot them all, right. and then the Palestinians uh, fight back, and the Jews go, "Look, they're Lost. fighting." Yeah. Anywho, don't get me started no. on that. We'll do that in the bullshit fell of the news <laughs> at some point. Um, so, yeah, the Jews attacked some Christians and Cyril just, you know, went all Arnold Schwarzenegger on the <laughs> motherfuckers. And he, yeah, and, and, and he got together a, his parabolani and he set them out to 
destroy the synagogues, convert them into churches, kill any Jews that got in his way. Damn. Uh, in, his, in, in his words, he was purifying the synagogues by turning them into churches. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, they took all the Jews' stuff, took away their homes, uh, kicked them out of the city. And Orestes, as you say, was, was horrified by this. He was a Christian, but he was an educated man. He was a philosopher, he was a friend of Hypatia, despite them uh, not, being, uh, not agreeing on religion and philosophy and that kind of stuff. And he's the governor, so he's technically the most powerful person in the city politically, but here's Cyril's running around just doing whatever the hell he wants. And, and, and apparently... Orestes doesn't have enough power to be able to overcome Cyril's Parabolani, his mm. private militia. So as you say, he wrote to the emperor to complain about it. Now, Cyril goes to see Orestes in person. And Orestes thinks, all right, he's going to come and apologize. <laughs> so I'm sorry I shouldn't have done that. My no. bad. Yeah. Instead... Cyril holds out a copy of the Gospels and says, uh, you know, show me that you respect the church and I may forgive you. Ooh. Now, obviously, Orestes isn't happy about that and the quarrel continues. So things get tense uh, in Alexandria um, and, and all of the Parabolani come down. Uh, and basically get ready to fight Orestes. Basically, it's it's Christian on Christian violence. As you always say, it's, your, it's the sexiest kind of violence. Um, <laughs> these, uh, these, these Parabolani were ready to throw down anyone who just looked at them the wrong way. So one day Orestes, the governor, is riding through the city in his chariot. He gets surrounded by the Parabolani. Oh, shit. Who, by the way, apparently don't bathe either, so they're smelly, Ugh. foul-smelling robes. They're dirty. That's hot. Um, they, they start... <laughs> I like a bit of stank <laughs> on my monks. Uh, they begin to insult him and accuse him of being a pagan idolater, and he says, well, wait, wait, I'm a baptised <laughs> Christian. They're like, fuck you. One of the monks picked up a large rock, threw it at Orestes, and it hit him on the head. Oh, shit. Blood starts pouring out of his head, and his guards, being uh, reasonable people, (laughs) ran away. (laughs) But they lived to tell about it, so good for them. They were like, holy shit, like, we're crazy, but, you know, we'll, we're, we're, we sign up to defend you, but not against these crazy motherfuckers. Well, would you, I've would, seen Game of Thrones. <laughs> I know what happens when you go up against the mad monks. Do you want to be known as the guards who stood their ground, served their master, and died bravely, or ran away and had to go look through the unemployment papers? <laughs> yeah. He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. <laughs> um... So, yeah. Yeah. So what happens next, Ray? So um so so obviously um Orestes gets his head looked at, uh, stops the bleeding, but he's got to deal with this. So Orestes has I don't know how to say this guy's name, Omanius the monk who um theoretically was in charge or started the riot. 
He, he didn't talk to him. He didn't scold him. He didn't even slap him around a bit. He had him publicly tortured until the man, the monk, died. Mm. He raised it to 11. Yeah, I mean, Orestes ain't going to back down, man. He's, you know, he's the, the governor, governor of the city. You. He's There's got to be some discipline. The here. church cannot be the ultimate power because then it's not a empire anymore. It's a the- theocracy. Yeah, well, it's rapidly turning into a theocracy. Yeah. So many of the aristocracy of the city obviously supported Orestes, and that included Hypatia, and then rumors started to run around that it was all her fault in the first place. She was the one that created the division between Orestes and Cyril, both good Christian Uh. men, because she's a creature from hell. (laughs) She's uh, not a philosopher. She's a witch. She's turning the ins- the entire city against God with her trickery and her spells. This quote unquote mathematics and philosophy right. and astronomy is really just uh, um, satanistic uh, uh, black magic. She sure. was accused of atheizing Alexandria. Ah, black magic woman. You get the sense that she just happened to be a female and uh, maybe was a weak weak link to uh, weaken Orestes' argument for the crowd or for the propaganda. But yeah, so whether she was really that involved, it doesn't really matter. This is a weak link because she is a woman, and I thought that was a pretty good move on Cyril's part to to go after her. Then one day in March of 415, Hypatia left her home to go for a daily ride through the city. Now, after what happened to Orestes, I might have stayed home for a while, barricaded the doors, uh, put garlic up in the windows, no. and just sat there with a shotgun pointed at the door. But that's <laughs> like, like, uh, like, what, like, fucking, what's his face in Kill Bill in the caravan? Uh, but that's just me. No, but you don't have to see. She's got it covered. It's the season of Lent in March four fifteen, and as we all know, that's when they're all preparing for. Easter through prayer, doing penance, mortifying their own flesh, not other people's flesh, repentance of sins, self-denial, almsgiving. These people are at their best behavior at this time of the year. So she is completely safe walking around the streets of Alexandria. Mm, Just like Jesus said, I'm going to be fine. (laughs) going to be fine in... uh Oh, fucking what's the what's the Jewish version? Passover. It's Passover. Passover. I'm yeah. gonna be fine. No one's gonna do anything to me at Passover. <laughs> yeah. So she she goes out. She get finds a way blocked by the Parabolani. They tell her to get down from her chariot. She tells them to go fuck themselves. Because <laughs> she's not a Christian. Yeah. But no, she does. She gets down on the street. She realizes that obviously that her situation is serious because of what happened to Orestes. Um, and then the Parabolani, under the guidance of a church magistrate called Peter, who's in the history is referred to as a perfect believer in all respects in Jesus Christ, sure, seized her, dragged her through the streets of Alexandria. Alexandria's greatest living mathematician, who had done nothing to anyone, right dragged her through the streets to a church where they took her inside, 
ripped the clothes from her body and then using broken pieces of pottery and oyster shells flayed her skin from her flesh while she was still alive Mm -hmm. and then gouged out her eyes. Oh, my God. Before she died. Yeah. Then... Once she was dead, they tore her limb from limb and threw the pieces of who they, one of the sources refers to as a luminous child of reason onto a pyre and burnt it. Now, the important thing to remember here, as long as they were saying, this is for your own good, they're going to be fine. It's all fine, yeah. And they did not enjoy now, it. Now, I, I do have to yeah. tell you something before we go on. When I read the part mm. about they used um, tiles to kill her, you know what that mm. reminded me of? This this is a very obscure reference, but they pulled a Sulla. Because way back in the day, when Sulla was in his late 30s, there was an enemy of uh, Gaius Marius's, and this is when Sulla and Gaius Marius still got, a, still got along. Lucius Apuleius Saturninus was elected tribune three times, uh, which was illegal. Uh, his agents killed Gaius Memmius, who was running for consul. The Senate gets together. The Senate passes the Senatus Consultum Ultimum against Saturninius, uh, declares um, him an outlaw. They have Gaius Marius wage war against him. It gets to the point where Saturninius is uh, chased to the Curia Hostilia. Sulla and some other people climbed up onto the roof, tore the tiles off the roof, and flung it down at him and his followers until they were all dead. So this, these people pulled a Sulla. <laughs> there was another guy too. I can't remember who it was now. Uh, some great general who was fighting uh, in the streets, and some old woman tore oh, a yes. roof tile off and threw it at him, and it hit him in the head and killed him. Oh God! I, I think yes. that was one of Alexander's uh, successes. It was. Um, it oh, it was uh, Pyrrhus, I think. It sounds. Isn't that, isn't that how Pyrrhus died? That sounds right. Oh, my God. We do too many I shows. think it was... I know, and we've done them all way too long. Um, yeah, I, 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 Pyrrhus, I'm just... Fuck, if I get this right, I'm, I'm buying a bottle of scotch. Um, <laughs> and I'll buy you a $100 cigar. There you go. Listen to this. Since Antigonus Gennatus was approaching, he hastened to enter the city with his army by stealth, only to find the place crowded with hostile troops. During the confused battle in the narrow city streets, Pyrrhus was trapped. While he was fighting an Argive soldier, the soldier's old mother, who was watching from a rooftop, <laughs> threw a tile which knocked him from his horse, Mom. broke a broke part of his spine, paralyzing him. Whether or not he was alive after the blow was dubious, but his death was assured when a Macedonian soldier named Zapyrus, although frightened by the look on the face of the unconscious king, hesitantly and ineptly beheaded his motionless body. Oh. I can't believe I pulled that out of my ass, man. How many people can say their mom pulled a Sulla? I mean, that's pretty fucking <laughs> impressive. Pyrrhus of the Pyrrhic victory, killed by a roof tile and a beheading afterwards. Be careful. Um, 
Mm. So, uh, Hypatia's death sent shockwaves through the empire. For centuries, philosophers had been seen as effectively untouchable. Yeah. Even when there was violence going on in the streets, you don't you don't fuck up philosophers, man. These people devote their life to truth and beauty. You don't fucking kill yeah. them. But here the Christians have not only killed a philosopher and in the most brutal fashion possible, right. but a female philosopher. Uh, you know, they, they fucking brutally killed, the Christians brutally killed a female philosopher who had done nothing to anyone. And it was seen even at the time as profoundly dangerous and destabilizing. Yeah. Because it was he, also seen. Yeah. I was just going to say, because as we know, she was giving counsel um, to Orestes. But again, j- those are just words. Here's my opinion. Here's ideas. She's not taking part in any of this. And even that, we're not 100% sure of. You certainly don't take somebody out in the most gruesome way possible for being a part time advisor. It was seen as the symbolic end of Greek philosophy and Greek mathematics um, and and had, you know, massive compl- consequences. That's uh, the word I'm looking for. People are like, wow, shit. I mean, if you are a philosopher or a mathematician or yeah. anything, you need, you need to go underground. And that did, in fact, happen. Um, so th- there's no concrete evidence directly linking Cyril mm-hmm. to the murder of Hypatia, but at the time it was widely believed that he had ordered it. Certainly he had ordered a lot of other violence and murder. He was also um, smearing her name, so indirectly. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So he was responsible directly or indirectly. Um, now, the Alexandrian council, led by Orestes, obviously was uh, alarmed at this. They sent an embassy to Constantinople to ask Uh-oh. the emperor to get involved. This would have been Theodosius II at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, his advisors actually launched an investigation into trying to determine Cyril's role in the murder. Ended up resulting in the Parabolani being removed from Cyril's power and instead placed under the authority of Orestes, the governor. Oh, shit. And they almost killed him a couple of days or weeks or whatever ago. Now, Cyril himself only managed to escape serious punishment by bribing <laughs> one of Theodosius's uh, officials. <laughs> Christians, you gotta uh, love them. Yeah. And, you know, Hypatia, with the death of Hypatia, Orestes' opposition against Cyril collapsed. Mm. It had the desired effect. No one else in the aristocracy was willing to support Orestes after what happened to her. Um, It's like we talked about in the drug wars and the bullshit filter. You've got to do extreme acts of terror and brutality (laughs) in order to shut down opposition. Right. That's how the Christians do it, and that's how the drug lords do it, and it's worked out pretty well so far. Uh, two, two years later, Cyril was powerful enough that he overturned the law, placing the Parabolani Ooh. under Orestes' control. And by the early 420s, 
controlled the entire Alexandrian council. So violence works. Violence pays. Exactly. All right, that's the end of that story, uh, this episode. Let me read another review. This is from the United Kingdom by El Gru. Taking a long view, El Gru says, My long-held theory that Roman history is a bit dull after Marcus Aurelius is blown away by this entertaining podcast covering the role of Christianity in the decline of the empire and the loss of its culture and knowledge in the West. Presumably working on the premise that you can never have enough context... Veteran podcasters Ray and Cam have started their Renaissance podcast 1,000 years early, which is cool. I'm patient. They have form. Less than 40% of the legendary Life of Alexander podcast was about the life of Alexander. (laughs) Ray and Cam are entertaining storytellers, and Ray even seems to be reading ahead these days. They make the context essential. It's good to know that the Renaissancers renaissanced back to... Oh, what the Renaissancers renaissance back to. There's more to the story than a bunch of Italians reading old books. So if you want a fun look at Christotokos versus Theotokos debate or simply love some Christian-on-Christian action, <laughs> then this is the podcast for you. Good review, El Gru. Nice. Thank you for that. Send us an email with your uh, postal details and we'll send you a token of our appreciation. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with the story of St. Basil of Caesarea, who was one of these guys, like St. Augustine, who said, you know what, don't read the naughty bits. You don't want to pollute your mind with the naughty bits. Like people who say, we love your podcast, but you swear too much. You're really going to love St. Basil. He's right <laughs> up your alley, so to speak. Miss you every single day. Why must my life be filled with sorrow? Oh, oh, miss you more than I can say. Don't you know I need you so? Tell me, please, I gotta know.